welcome back to the Life in Digital podcast. This week we're joined by James Prudhomme, CRO at Optable. During a time where the ad tech industry has been disrupted due to cookies being banished in Europe and new legislation strengthening the protection of consumer data, it has ultimately forced brands and publishers to explore new ways of making use of their data sets without compromising consumer data privacy. James goes into detail about the emergence of data clean rooms in the ad tech industry and how this platform creates a secure and compliant space for companies who are tackling the loss of third-party cookies. We hope you will enjoy. Hi James, first of all, thank you so much for coming and joining me on the Life on Digital podcast today. Um, to, our, to our listeners, um, I'm joined today by James Prohome, who is um, CEO of Optimal. Um, CRO. CRO, sorry. Yes. The key one. Um, so James, just jumping in, it'd be great if you could introduce yourself and, uh, and Optimal. Sure, yeah. Um, uh, I'll start with Optimal. Uh, Optimal is a um, sort of new breed of data platform um, and a data collaboration platform mm-hmm. that allows you know, two companies to collaborate using their first party data in a way that's safe and secure and, and compliant with mm-hmm. GDPR and other types of legislation. Uh, companies headquartered in Montreal in Canada, yeah. um, very close relationship with the cryptography lab at McGill University. So, you know, sort of commercializing um, some very kind of advanced cryptography that's coming out of uh, out of that research team. And um, uh, was founded in 2020 by the team that had built the Samsung ads uh, platform. So very oh, wow. experienced. Oh yeah, right. Okay. So very experienced team that had uh, that was sort of built the, that was responsible for the tech uh, behind the Samsung ads uh, platform. So they founded Optable in 2020. Um, spent about My a year. Month of 2020. It was early in 2020, exactly. And so I think the uh, you know right, right, probably right at the beginning of uh, of the pandemic. So yeah. it was an interesting time to start I'm a sure business. It was. It was yeah. conversation. Yeah, exactly. And so they stayed pretty sequestered, uh, building the platform for about a year and a half, and then just started to bring the first clients on in August of 2021. Okay, good stuff. Yeah. And yourself? Uh, So I joined the company uh, in fall of last year. I'm from Canada originally. I've known the founding team for many, many years. Um, I moved to London uh, from uh, Montreal in 2015 with Index Exchange. So I was at the time MD EMEA at uh, Index Exchange and was hired to come over to Europe and you know kind of launch the Index Exchange business in, in Europe and eventually APAC as well. So I spent the better part of seven years at Index, had a really great time. It's a really great company. Um, and then just started to really get the itch again, you know, to sort of get back to something Stop. that was, yeah, very early and building something and, and being disruptive. And um, so, yeah, so joined Optimal in, in sort of uh, mid Q4 of last year yeah. and, uh, and really kicked things off in January of, the, of this year. Great stuff. Well, it sounds, it sounds uh, fascinating. I can't wait to talk today about uh, data teams because it's such a hot subject to mm-hmm. the direction of travel within our tech and, and data. Um, so I'm really looking forward to listening and learning. Um, before we cover a range of topics today, it'd be great if you could just talk me through in layman's terms what data clean rooms are. Sure. Yeah, and, and in many ways, data clean rooms have sort of been around for, you know, for, for decades, really. Mm-hmm. If you go back, for, for those of us old enough to remember the magazine subscription. Business. I do. I always, yeah. When people join Sphere, I always talk about how advertising evolved. And I talk about glossy magazines, and they look at me with very, very, very blank faces. Right. Well, you know, if you think back to those days, you know, two magazine publishers um, would have had, you know, subscriber lists, and they mm-hmm. would have gone to a sort of trusted third party okay. to merge those subscriber lists. 
Um, and then they would run sort of various direct mail campaigns or one magazine might have a subscription offer to the other magazine subscribers. And these trusted third parties sort of became known as these data clean rooms. Okay. Now there was nothing, there was no technology involved. It was literally just this independent disinterested third party that would merge lists of data and then go back to the to both uh, collaborators and say, this is what we've learned. This is the overlap, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we have today, you know, is, is our data clean rooms that use very advanced cryptography to allow two companies, it could be a brand and a publisher, or it could be two brands or even two publishers, mm -hmm. but two companies that own first party data um, and they wanna collaborate using that data in a way that's compliant with legislation in a way that's safe, it's gonna, you know, prevent any data leakage. Um, and so data clean rooms have emerged as a solution uh, to enable that sort of collaboration. Okay, and just a word, cryptography, can you just explain that to me a little bit, please? Well, sure, it's, it's, it's um, you know, and not to be confused, well, you know, not to be confused with sort of uh, cryptocurrencies yes. and, and that sort of thing, yeah. you know, but effectively cryptography are just ways of making data um, secure and unreadable, except to the party that has the cryptographic key. The first party, the data right yeah, that's right. Exactly. So in our case, you know, both data sets would be cryptographically secured. Mm -hmm. um, and then our system can allow, still allow that comparison to happen and mm -hmm. to understand the overlap between the data sets um, without actually unencrypting the data and allowing one party to see the other party's uh, 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 actual data. I hear you. And where do you see organizations using uh, data clean rooms um, from your you know, experience so far? Sure. I mean, Plenty of use cases in ad tech. So, you know, if we if we take a step back and we look at, you know, why the founders of Optable, um, you know, started building this platform and started going down this path, there were really two forces at play. One was um, the demise of third-party cookies and, and mobile device IDs and, and mm -hmm. that sort of thing, right? The traditional glue that it sort of glued various data sets together in the ad tech ecosystem mm -hmm. had always been cookies and, and those things are now going away. Um, and then, of course, you know, legislatively, you know, things like GDPR, um, CCPA in California, and really in countries all over the world, governments are really starting to get serious about data protection laws uh, and empowering the consumers. How consistent do you think that will become globally when it comes to data protection and how that works across, border, uh, across borders? I think very consistent. So if you look, for example, the European Union, as an example, yeah. you know, insists that any country that has a free trade agreement with Europe has to have equivalency in their data protection laws. Really so that's driven, for example, Canada, Japan, Australia, other countries to pass, you know, equivalency laws. And then I think you're just going to see that just becomes a, you know, almost like a network effect, it's doesn't sad. it? Yeah. yeah. If you want to trade with Japan. Um, and if, if, if an Australian bank wants to do business in Japan, well, they're going to have to adhere to Japanese data protection laws. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so it really sort of started with Europe, um, but, you know, you can see it now sort of pushing uh, throughout the rest of the world. You know, the big question on, on legislation, of course, is what will happen in America? You know, far be it for me to speculate <laughs> on knows, yeah. Yeah, the politics, but I, I do believe that if, if you look at the paradigm that the GDPR established, right? Mm -hmm. Where the data subject, us, you know, you and yeah. I and, 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 and others, consumers. you know, consumers are fundamentally the owners of their data and, yeah. and get to decide who has access to it through, you know, kind of various consent mechanisms. Yeah. I believe that that fundamental paradigm will proliferate around the world. 
Yeah. Um, and that governments will pass legislation, you know, respecting the rights of the data owner to control who can do what with their data. Yeah. So it's a challenge for ad tech and it's an opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and, and, you know, being at the, I was, we were chatting earlier about the IAB uh, ALM conference in New yeah. York a few weeks ago. And, you know, the, the, one of the fundamental themes of that conference is that like the whole ecosystem is being rewired. Right. I'm trying to figure out in my head at the moment how it actually works, but yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 it's almost like you know the traditional plumbing, um, yes. you know, between sort of data owners and media owners and, and buyers of media is all just completely being rebuilt. Um, and so that's the opportunity, isn't it? It's but, really yes. to be a part of that. <laughs> and the threat, but it's yeah. Really. Um, so the optical platform, if it's like I talk about that, how how does that work, and who's this for? Yeah, sure. So um, fundamentally, it supports owners of or custodians. Owners is probably the wrong word to use. Custodians of first-party data could yeah. be a brand, could be a publisher, could be other you know intermediaries between those two, but but who also have become custodians of data. So um, would you integrate with other tech platform? Do you integrate with other tech platform? Um, we do. Yeah, yeah. we do yeah. in some cases, um, and and we integrate with ad delivery systems. We integrate with. Um, consumer data platforms or customer data platforms, CDPs, yeah. DMPs. Um, so fundamentally, you could imagine, you know, you're a brand, you've got all of your CRM data mm -hmm. in a, you know, customer data platform or a CDP of one sort or another. Mm -hmm. um, so you now want to collaborate with a publisher. You want to say, how many of my customers that are in my CRM file visit The Guardian or visit, you know, uh, news.uk. Yeah. Um, so you can then move those audiences, the IDs and, and certain traits and attributes about them into our platform mm -hmm. um, so that they can be made available in a clean room. And then your publisher partners can make their data addressable in our platform. And then using the sort of cryptographic techniques I described earlier, yeah. we can allow those data sets to be compared uh, to, to, to judge the overlap. And then the brand can say, yeah, there's a lot of overlap here. I want to run some ad campaigns on these publishers. Um, we can then allow those audiences to be represented and pushed, you know, directly into the publisher ad delivery systems and, and into the programmatic ecosystem writ large, you know, whether through, you know, there's a, a various ways to kind of do that, but but fundamentally that's uh, that's what we do. Just being so what are the various ways? What are the different products and how that sure do you want to get specific <laughs> about it? Yeah, absolutely happy to. Um, so once you have an audience in our platform yeah. that is now made up of you know um, um, users from let's say the brand CRM file and let's say the publisher's you know uh, logged in registered user list, you now have a matched audience together. Yeah. And the publisher and the brand have talked a little turkey and, and, and done some negotiation and figured out certain traits and attributes of, of that audience and how they want to reach them. So in our system, we can represent that audience as a key value pair. Okay. And we can do what's known as targeting at the edge. Um, so when a user visits that publisher site, um, the publisher can send the first party cookie mm -hmm. into our targeting API and we return the key values that represent that audience. Yeah. Um, and then those key values can be used by the publisher's ad server, or they can be picked up through prebid.js um, uh, through, their, through their, their programmatic uh, bidding containers. So there's a real time buy once that happens. Exactly, yeah. So any of, their, any of their SSP partners can pick up those key value pairs and represent those as a DLID and a private market deal and 
uh, execute downstream the way that any private market deal is executed. Very cool. And without asking a leading question, uh, you mentioned the Samsung ads class. I'm guessing CTV is the environment. Of, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And that's what's really interesting about clean rooms as well. So we talk about cookies going away and we talk about mobile device IDs going away. Yeah. But those things have never really existed in CTV, right? Or even in audio, if you're you know a listener of sort of Spotify or anything. Any of these, yeah, exactly, massive advertising businesses. So clean rooms are a really effective way. In fact, um, uh, there was just we just published uh, a video week just published an opinion piece that mm -hmm. I that I had uh, written um, on the use of clean rooms in CTV. So a bit of a shout out to uh, to video week and uh, to Vinny. Um, and it sort of you know it, it describes a vision for how CTV. Um, media owners could be smart TV OEMs like Samsung or, or LG, yeah. or could be streaming app providers, you know, or broadcasters, um, but how they can use and leverage their first party data, match that to their advertiser data, and then create targetable audiences and segments, all while maintaining data sovereignty and without sharing the actual data between parties. Yeah. That's the really important bit, right? Um, and, and no physical merging of the data, if you will. Yeah. So from a direction of travel point of view, I can see why this is going to be so important. Brands get really strong knowledge of their advertising people who are in their, in their world, really engage them, and um, you know, look like the right profiles. And as consumers, we get protection over our data, which we know is important, and publishers can monetize. Mm -hmm. What's the direction of travel? How long, yeah, but when do cookies go away? When do we move to... Like data clean room sure. environments in, in, in its entirety? It's, it's a great question. I mean, I would put the sort of market into three buckets right now. Okay. There are those who say, yeah, data clean rooms, that's great. But you know what? Everything's kind of fine today. Cookies are running and, and our campaigns are delivering. And, yeah. you, know, let's, you know, let's talk again a year from now or, or sort of eight months from now. Um, then there are those who are sort of like, um, you know, and I find this more sort of in Europe, to be honest, where yeah. they lived through GDPR, they went through those changes, mm -hmm. maybe they realized they weren't as well prepared as they could have been at the time, well, yeah. right? Because I think we all felt that a little bit. Um, and then they say, yeah, we know that, you know, maybe this stuff is a year off, but let's start talking now and let's start testing and learning and let's understand, you know, how these solutions are going to work. Yeah. And then that third bucket there are a number of brands, publishers, others, you see it in retail media, for example, where they're like, we want to start activating our data and there's no way we're using cookies. There's no way that we want to risk any sort of data leakage. Mm -hmm. um, and so they want to start using clean rooms right away. They're ready to activate. They're ready to activate now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so we're seeing that quite a lot, actually. That's cool. Are there any examples of where businesses, brands can use data clean rooms in a way that they may not have considered? Sure. I mean, even what we what we see that's interesting is, you know, you get big companies and they might have, you know, one business over here. Let's say, you know, we've been talking to a large airline recently and they have their sort of, you know, main, you know, sort of branded airline. And then as many of them have, don't they, they have a sort of vacations business. Yes. And then they have the sort sense. of discount airline. Yes. Well, they're unable to actually match the data between these three businesses. Right. It's just, you know, you think that this would be fairly simple for them, but you would expect yeah, yeah. Um, and so even solving use cases like that where allowing brands to match data internally and and, and even in some countries um, I know for example in Canada you know many banks own insurance businesses mm -hmm. but they're prevented through legislation from actually cross-selling and doing certain things in certain ways so whilst they can 
start to think about data collaboration, they have to be very, very careful about, you know, uh, not actually physically merging data. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so there's clean room use cases there as well um, to ensure compliance is a really, really big part of it. And, uh, and to ensure compliant uh, collaboration, if you will, uh, uh, between data sets. It's maps on the list. Okay, that's, that's interesting to and, and any misconceptions you see that people have about data clearing push back on why we want there, yeah. yeah, I think that, you know, sort of the, I sort of alluded to earlier, the, the origins of them, if you will, and, you know, the sort of magazine industry and, and whatever, there's a lot of companies or a lot of sort of very, you know, well-established traditional marketing analytics companies, some of these, you know, have been around for decades, right, you know, longer than you and I even, yeah. and, uh, and they say, oh, well, we've got a clean room, like this, this stuff that you guys, you startups are all doing with this cryptography, it's nothing new, you know, we kind of do this stuff, and then when you sort of, open up the, the hood on that, you realize, well, they're actually physically merging data, right? Okay. Or they're doing sort of, you know, matches based on IDs that are, you know, maybe leveraging IP address, for example, or things that may no longer be available as, as legislation starts to change, right? More accurate. More accurate, exactly, yeah. I'm guessing just need to have those Yeah, that's exactly Enjoy right. Time, yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. So more probabilistic rather than deterministic, for yes. example, yeah. yeah. So I think that's one of the misconceptions, right? Um, and and it, and it really, from a compliance point of view, for example, you know, um, physically merging your data with another company's data set just introduces a whole bunch of risk, doesn't it? And, mm -hmm. and risk of data leakage. Brands especially are so sensitive to this. Um, you know, uh, I was involved in, in a, as a consumer and a, 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 a customer of British Airways. Um, when they had a data uh, leak issue a few years back and, you know, they had to pay for me to get a, a subscription to a credit monitoring service. Well, you know, no brand wants to go through no. that, right? It's a PR nightmare. And they've had a real run of PR. <laughs> they've had, yeah, no shortage of PR nightmares, exactly. So, so just brands have to be exceptionally careful about this stuff now. Yeah. Um, and so that we're starting to see a fundamental shift in the way brands are thinking around data collaboration. Um, they still have to do it. It's still absolutely necessary, um, but they're just thinking about it very differently. Yeah. And um, what about scalability? So I guess many campaigns are are reach. Um, how far? The, because uh, the, we need we require to have publishers on board. How far away uh, data team led organisations from achieving really big kind of scale? It's just a, a reach kind of process. It's a great question, and you know, um, certainly cookies are scaled, aren't they? Because yes. there's pretty much one on every. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, will data clean rooms be, you know, the only solution that allow brands and publishers to scale the same way cookies have? Mm -hmm. Probably not, right? And clean rooms become part of the solution. Now, there are other solutions like sort of third-party identifiers, others, UID 2.0, mm -hmm. for example, is one that's getting a lot of traction. Um, uh, and then other companies that are in that space of sort of developing IDs and many of which that we have partnerships with, right? Yeah. Using those IDs in a clean room to increase match rates and increase scale. Yeah. Um, another, you know, sort of tactic that we're seeing a lot is a brand will match with a publisher and let's say they have, you know, um, uh, 500,000 people that they match with. Mm -hmm. um, okay, well, that's great, but they, they want to reach, you know, 5 million people. Mm -hmm. So the publisher will then take that as a seed audience um, do a, you know, build a lookalike model and say to the brand, of the 500,000 people that we know that are on our site uh, that are your customers, here's another 3 million yeah. that behave the same way, that consume the same content, that share a lot of the same attributes, 
And so that's a much larger campaign that you can then go out and target. And it's quite relevant because you know that. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and I think that one of the things that we think about a lot, because our system was built by people with, with immense sort of ad tech background, you know, we built it to support a lot of the real-time use cases. So, you know, it's not a matter of sort of, you know, statically uploading data um, and then having to just kind of manually add more data to that data set. We've built all of the sort of, you know, bits and bobs, so to speak, to allow the data to stream in in real time um, and to sort of stream out in real time as well uh, to support programmatic use cases and, and the real time world that we live in. Yeah, yeah. um, and ad tech felt, it's felt like a few really interesting years for ad tech with the emergence of you know, the cookie's future and the way that creativity's come back into, into yeah. ad tech. So we've seen, I feel like we've seen, had more conversations with startups who are scaling than I can remember since. Probably that 2015, I don't know, era, like pre-GDPR. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, you know, I think in 2015, well, you know, even to, to sort of provide an anecdote. Yeah, and even my own experience, when I arrived in London with Index Exchange, you know, there were the, the SSP market was sort of, a lot of people thought at the time, pretty much all sewn up. It was mature. Yeah, yeah. it was very yeah. mature. And, and I used to get people sort of saying like, you know, you're a nice guy, James, but I don't think you're going to be that successful, <laughs> to be honest. And I don't think that... You know, index is going to be that successful, but you know, header bidding at the time was a huge innovation, right? Mm. Um, that that a lot of people didn't see coming, um, and so that's the nice thing about ad tech, isn't it? Because you know, it's it's really just constantly evolving. All the time. Yeah, all the time, and you can never really take things for granted. Um, you know, I've been in this business long enough, as I'm sure you have. We remember when the the companies that were at the sort of you know top of the pile, so to speak, and the top of the stock market. Many of those companies don't even exist anymore, yeah. right? The people endure. The yeah, people that's right. That's right. So, so there's a constant sort of state of creative destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what makes it, for me anyway, a really you know, interesting market. Um, yeah. Somebody asked me uh, on a call a few weeks ago, they said, well, you know, this tech that you have, this is great. Well, what about other industries? What about, you know, sort of me- you know, medical science or, or financial services or these sorts of things? And we're very interested in those for sure. But I kind of joked and I said, but at the moment, you know, we don't know how to do anything else <laughs> other than ad tech. So uh, different, different conversations when you step outside of ad tech. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we will get there for sure. Um, and it's, it, it's a big part of the vision for the company. Um, but we're very, very focused on marketing tech and ad technology at the moment. Yeah, I think it's the capability of ad tech and marketing tech when you do start thinking about what it could do in other industries because the tech is so, so capable. Yeah. There's so many other places that we can. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Drive, drive, drive business change. Yeah. So a little bit of stargazing for 2022, 2023. What's, what's coming up? What, what are going to be the big things? Well, so, you know, so the, the actual demise of the cookie, when, when Chrome stops supporting, you know, third-party cookies, that mm. will be an absolutely massive catalyst we're seeing a lot of changes take place in the ecosystem already. Do you feel like companies are ready for that? I don't know. It's interesting. There's, there's, so, you know, I, I'll, I'll draw the comparison again between sort of, you know, US, North America and Europe. Yeah. I would say Europeans are much, much more prepared for it, thinking about it, understanding some of the changes that they have to make because they live through GDPR. Mm-hmm. Um, in the US, I think that there's still a little bit of a head in the sand approach. There's a lot of people that say, well, you know, Google delayed it, you know, the Chrome browser team delayed it previously, probably going to kick the can down the road again. Mm-hmm. That may or may not be true, but inevitably it will come to pass that, yeah. that you know, Chrome does stop supporting third-party cookies and, and the world's going to have to figure out what to do so, about yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Um, so that'll be, that'll be a really big catalyst. I think that we're seeing 
you know, as a, as and 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 the 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 big fundamental shift that we're seeing, I believe, in the marketplace is is a shift from the way data is activated on the demand side today to data being activated on the supply side. Yes, who's got control of it essentially? Yeah, and who's got control of it, and 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 who's able to kind of maintain sovereignty over it? So I actually think, from a data perspective. The, 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 the skies are very bright and blue for publishers. I think mm -hmm. that publishers are finally going to get their day in the sun, so to speak, um, and, and, and really you know, start to recognize the value uh, of their first party data and really be able to leverage that. So I think the that's- they have aspects, but yeah, yeah. Exactly, and they be, that will you know, primarily become or fundamentally become the primary activation channel as well, right? So brands will have to you know, collaborate and find a way to connect their first party data with the publisher first party data in order to make it addressable for advertising campaigns and that sort of thing. Because the, the, the way they're doing that today with cookies and you know, matching cookies between DMPs and DSPs and that sort of thing, that's gonna go away. So there's, there, there needs to be a new way to think about that. Yeah, really exciting. And it's really exciting for us as we launch in New York to see how that plays out across um, across the two continents. Yeah, it's it's really exciting for you guys, isn't it? That's uh, that's a big achievement. Congratulations. Yeah, exactly. so thank you. No, I don't um yeah, I haven't often got excited as speeds grow. It's felt really cool and a step by step journey, but I must admit North America feels like a, yeah. a, a, a really interesting step um, forward. Yeah, well having just been in New York a few weeks ago, it just felt really good um to sort of be back there and to just see it opening up again and and face-to-face -face events are returning mwc's coming up from so that's, that's right yeah yeah that's right um so i was at the iab event in new york as were some others from london i saw quite a few people from london mm -hmm. there and yeah and there's quite a few um everyone's talking about can again this year right um, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and uh yeah and so there's a there's a number of events icom in spain is a big one on the data side that that I plan to attend, and that's later on in uh, in June. How so, do you think people are going to respond? Are you able to be flooding back to events or mixed bag views? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that I think that the reality is that a lot of companies, I think the CFOs are going to be like, well, wait a minute. You know, we just went through a few years where we didn't have any events or any travel and any expensive, you know, trips to Cannes and whatever, and things just. Got along just fine, didn't they? In yeah. fact, businesses grew, and you know. So wait a minute. So explain to me now why do you want you know to have to spend a lot of money this year on travel and, and events and, and that sort of thing? So I think you know that's going to take some time to work itself through. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think a lot of people as well are you know you're you know kind of in a mode of working from home, recognizing some of the benefits of that and and less travel. Certainly in my case, I mean, people are precious and understand so about about their time and where they want to spend it and where you choose to spend it. And I really get and hear that. And that's and that unnecessary travel, I assume, will be not a thing of the past because things tend to yeah. return a little bit. But then I agree there'll be much more of a, a, a waterfront. Amy's behind the camera, but I have to ask we're doing our salary survey. What was it, Amy, in terms of um, how many companies were having their best every year? We kind of mm. mapped that data, didn't we? But it was yeah. it, it confirmed what we knew it was insane how businesses have been performing. Right. Yeah. Agencies, certain businesses, let's be honest. Right? Certain, yes, yeah, certain businesses. Yeah. In our world, we've all been pretty fortunate. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So that's a very important yeah. 70% better and 27% are the same. Interesting. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty overwhelming, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. No one's in any Right. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. That, that is just interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. When I speak to friends in other worlds and outside of it, it's a, yeah, very mixed um, experiences. Um, so yeah, it would be, be, be fun to see how the, how the year evolves. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I'm pretty optimistic. I'm an optimist by nature. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly it feels good to be just, you know, we've sort of booked some vacations for the family this year and that sort of thing. And that's nice as well, isn't I it? I got my first one. See, this time two years ago, I was in Dubai and uh, sitting there with my wife and kids, not being flavor of the month saying to Karen, this is really bad. Yeah. It was just escalated. So, yeah, yeah. nice to come to Portland where people can have things to look forward to going and learn how to get out and about and, yeah, all the experience to be sort of a yeah right exactly and closing from day to clean rooms a year's time if we're sitting down together what do you think you'd be saying well i think that you know there will be many data clean rooms um mm -hmm. in the market uh some of them you know standalone independent businesses some of them attached to larger sort of businesses or 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 data platforms other data platforms that sort of thing mm -hmm. um we certainly have some interesting views and a vision around interoperability so mm -hmm. that could be you know, a question that we talk about, you know, the next time we meet, should data clean rooms be interoperable? Um, should there be an open set of cryptographic standards that allow them to... Would you share your view on that? Um, you know, we're, we're exploring our views on that, I would say. Um, yeah. I think it's probably inevitable, yeah. um, you know, that, that a brand using one flavor of clean room and a publisher using another should still be able to collaborate. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that we do have... Uh, a view on that and and we're we're you know looking for ways that we can sort of further develop that from a product point of view and um we we're, we're fairly well known i think for open sourcing uh a lot of our tech um mm -hmm. and creating a number of open source utilities that you know for example we're probably the only clean room in the market where only one side needs to be our customer okay the other side can use uh an open source utility that we've made available to to collaborate okay that's cool yeah yeah. Thank you, James. Yeah, no problem. Pleasure. It's a pleasure, right? Yeah, it's great. This is a two years of podcast. I'm the first person who's been in the office to do it. So it's been, it's been wow, nice. that's it's really a nice to that's a privilege, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. A big thank you to James and Ed for this week's episode. If you want to find out more about the work that Optical are doing, we will link to them in the show notes and via our website. We hope you will join us next time for another episode of Life in Digital.